We've got a hot mic. That's great. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's a, it is good to be together here on this holiday weekend, the 4th of July, 240 years ago. Uh, today and then tomorrow, Continental Congress were doing their thing in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's an amazing thing to think about, 240 years of history. You know, uh, reflecting about that, it, it's interesting to think about the Pledge of Allegiance, for example. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and the republic for which it stands. One nation under God, indivisible. And then those last words, with liberty, help me out, with liberty and justice for all. You know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing and a thing to be grateful for, I think, as Christian people, because remember, our primary identity is in Jesus Christ, Right? Not in the flag, not in all of that that we celebrate this weekend, though here's my point. Isn't it wonderful to be a part of a country whose aspiration is with liberty and justice for all? That almost sounds biblical, doesn't it? The idea of looking for and aspiring for freedom and justice for every human being. That sounds a lot like what Jesus came proclaiming when he came announcing the kingdom of God. We share in that legacy as American citizens, and this morning, as we gather here on this Lord's Day, we share that legacy more foundationally as the people of God who've been called into a walk and a life in Jesus Christ that proclaims liberty and freedom and God's justice, and we get to participate in that. There's a lot for us to celebrate in today, but... There are times when we may find ourselves looking and feeling like this story. Many years ago, there was a wealthy duke out riding and hunting with his men-at-arms on horseback. This is a long time ago. And they're riding through a forest, and as they go through the forest, they see tree after tree after tree where there's been a bullseye painted on the side of the tree, and every one of those targets there's an arrow stuck right in the center of the target. Amazing. Amazing. The Duke wondered, what is going on here? What's the deal? Well, one of his men-at-arms comes bringing up this young lad, uh, kind of a half-pint, 12- or 14-year-old kid, and uh, they said, this is the guy. And the Duke says, did you do this? He said, yes, my Lord. He said, now come on, tell me the truth. Uh, You really shot an arrow into that? You didn't just go hammer an arrow into that target, tree after tree after tree. He says, no, my Lord. On all that is holy, I'm telling you that I shot those arrows 50 yards or better every time. Amazing. I want you to come to be a part of my men of arms and uh, be a ride with me. But I need to know one thing. He said, how did you learn to shoot like that? He said, it's really, really simple. I just shoot the arrow, and then I go paint a target around the arrow. (laughs) Yeah, well, there is something about the way in which we can fall prey to a sort of an ethical way of living that sort of just says, I'll do what I can do, and then I'll call that good uh, after I've done it that I want to push on a little bit this morning. 
Now, I'm not pushing on it because I want to push on it. I'm pushing on it because I told Brian some weeks ago that when I came to preach, I would preach out of 1 Peter as we work our way through this Bible study series we're running right now through into the September, right? And, uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm just preaching what I'm finding in Scripture, okay? So don't, don't shoot me. I'm just, just the messenger. But Peter has some words to say to us that sort of speak to the notion that we've been called to live a kind of life that maybe transcends just the way everybody else lives life. And that kind of pushes against the way we kind of want to live to something a little more than, uh, than, than that. Uh, let me just start with some cold hard facts this morning. I shared some with you a couple of weeks ago, but I want to share a, few, a little more with you. Did you know, if I can get some help here with the PowerPoint, uh, that there's a, there is this notion that, uh, uh, that, that, that's really uh, quite true, if you look around in America today, that most churches are actually in decline. In fact, about 85% of all churches are in decline. Uh, Christianity is not looking so good in North America. And in fact, I know that people will say that America is a Christian nation, but I want to tell you that actually studies that kind of get rid of the halo effect, you know when people go out and say, doing surveys, and they say, do you go to church? What are you inclined to say when someone asks you that? Oh yeah, I go to church, yeah. Well, when you factor out what's called the halo effect, I want to be good, that actually only about 18% of all Americans show up in church on a regular basis. 18%. That's not exactly what I call a Christian country, right? And the statistics are saying that by 2020, it'll be down to about 14%. Or there's another study that's, uh, that's come out that's sort of interesting. It, it reflects that about 75% of all Americans say that they are Christian, uh, that that's their, that, that's their perspective. Well, yeah, I'm Christian. And, and that's probably about true, most three out of four people. But then the study did some digging around and come to find out, they say out of that study that there are three kinds of Christians in North America today. There are cultural Christians, that is to say, people who would say, yes, of course, I'm Christian, but they may never ever darken the door of a church building, ever. Then there are, secondly, congregational Christians. These are folks that show up to church now and then, who come to church um, and have a Christian, work with the ideas of Christianity in their life. And then there's the third category, which these researchers called committed Christians. These are people for whom Christianity means something. It's not just about going to church now and then on a Sunday morning. It actually is a way of living life deeply and fully. Interestingly, it seems that in America, the larger two groups are the first two groups, not the third group. This is why First Peter pushes on me, okay? <laughs> this is why it pushes on me and why I want to raise it with us this morning as, as a church we're working through this material from Peter. You see, I think it may be that we can easily slide into the notion that I can, I'm living my life okay as long as I get to paint the bullseye <laughs> around my life. 
And, uh, but that's not the kind of life that Peter is speaking about when he writes this little letter. And in fact, as we heard it read a, f- a few moments ago, there are several things that are being spoken about in these verses, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3 through, thir- or through 16, which is the block of material I wrote, read a few moments ago. There's a movement here that I want to point out to you this morning that I think is incredibly important for us. Uh, it's important to us as Christian people. It's important to us even as we reflect on the idea of the uh, Declaration of Independence and the 4th of July and our role as citizens of the United States of America, that there, there's something as Christian people that we need to lean into for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the sake of our country. It is, a, first of all, and the first thing I want to point out is that there's a story that we're a part of. And uh, if we could have the next slide here, there's a story that we're a part of that's shaped by nothing less than the, the resurrection story of Jesus Christ. You see, it's easy for us to let the story that dictates how we live our life be the one that, is, that comes to us through media and through TV and through culture and what we pick up at school and what we get in the workplace But Peter, this little letter starts out with a little bit of a narrative that reminds us that we're a part of something that God did in and through Jesus Christ. They were a part of a big story. And that big story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is that which shapes us and draws us forward and and leads us into the world that God wants us to live into and the kind of world we live in. He says it started with our birth. He says we've been born anew or born afresh, and there's this allusion to our baptism. Don't you know that in the day that you were baptized, that you were that you died, and that you died and was ro- and rose again out of a watery grave, that, that baptismal pool or that creek or river or our stock tank? Someone talked about stock tanks this morning, being baptized and a tank where you shoot away the water moccasins and wade it into the mud. I, I helped my dad baptize a woman when I was a little boy that way in Meeker, Oklahoma. Wherever that place was, you were being identified with the Jesus story. Just like Jesus died and was buried and rose again, so did you. And in that mark of your new birth, you were called into a different kind of story, a different kind of life that marks you. Just like you carry a U.S. passport when you travel, you have been marked by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's foundational to who you are. You died, and now Christ lives in you. You're a part of something bigger than just yourself. You, and when I say you, by the way, this is for Mitch back there. Uh, this is Texas speaking. It's not just you singular. It's y'all. Y'all are a part of this. When you read 1 Peter here and he talks about y'all have been, it's y'all have been introduced into this new way of living. Okay, right? It's a community thing. It's not just by ourselves. It's all of us together are part of this story. We're not in this by ourselves. No one is a lone Christian out there trying to figure this stuff out. We're all a part of this resurrection story. We're all living it out, embodying it. And that embodiment that we're a part of not only starts with this, this baptism and marked by our baptism in that 
our death, burial, and resurrection. We have an inheritance, he says, that will stand firm. That is to say, we know it's going to be there for us. And he says, and this is where the story gets a little odd for us, he says that it will be marked by suffering. That living the way of Jesus will be one that is marked by sacrifice and loss and suffering. Now, that, at one hand, I think surprises us a little bit because we don't like to suffer, do we? I won't ask for a show of hands, but I don't think many of us would say, oh, I love to suffer. It's my favorite thing to do. No, but you see, we live in a world and a culture that says that life is supposed to be easy, and when it's not easy, then something must be wrong in your life. The Christian story says, no, life is hard. And I don't know if I can say this or not, but since I'm a guest preacher, I can. Life sucks sometimes. Can I, I'll, okay, I'll probably get, the elders will get something on that, I suppose. But no, life is hard. It's difficult. It is fraught with challenges. It's what, uh, it's what people are dealing with right now in Iraq, as 70 people lost their lives just a couple of days ago. It's, life is difficult. There's cancer, and we, we just don't know how to get around it. Life is difficult. Life has things that happen that are inexplainable. Our neighbor, who lives cantywampus from us, I got word last night, the thing before I went to bed, was that Brad and his wife Wendy and their children and his mama were hit in a headlong collision just outside of Austin sometime yesterday morning. I don't know how he's doing. I'm trying to find out. Life does this to us, doesn't it? And to think that somehow or another I can live oblivious to uh, the frailties and the brokenness and the heartache of life and, and, and somehow or another move beyond that is just a fallacy. But that's the kind of world much of American culture wants you to believe in. Certainly the marketing arm of it all, right? Just look at beer commercials for starters. And I'm saying to you, and what Peter is saying to us is, no, 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 no. Life is difficult. That's reality. But you know what? We have a Savior who has walked through and suffered the worst stuff that life can throw at us, and he has survived it. And because he survived it, so can we. That's what the suffering of Jesus means, and that's why we're called in and invited to suffer along with him. That's why that strange stuff's there in those early verses of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. In fact, that's the very reason for the suffering of Jesus. If I could have another slide, I think I have a quote here from Alan Patton that speaks to this. He says, I have never thought that Christians would be free from suffering. For our Lord suffered, and I have come to believe that he suffered not to save us from suffering, but to teach us how to bear up in suffering. For he knew that there would be no life without suffering. Don't you understand that it's only through suffering that actually joy comes? Just ask any mama this after the birth of a child. Suffering and joy are actually joined at the hip in some really strange ways, beyond what we can speak about this morning in this sermon. But I'm here to tell you that if you want real joy, then you're going to get suffering. And the Christian story is one that understands the reality of both of those things. Don't believe the other narratives out there. 
who would try to tell you otherwise. That somehow or another you can anesthetize yourself from suffering and still find joy. That's the world of drugs, the world of alcohol abuse, and all of that other stuff are simply false narratives to the true narrative of how life really is and the kind of life God calls and invites us to be a part of. But we're not the only ones that are in on this. The prophets were in on this as well. There were others who were looking for and trying to sort out what God was up to in the world. The old people of God understood and were searching for this. And we're, sh- we're sharing in that. Don't, don't you see, <laughs> Peter is trying to say, that even the old prophets were trying to figure out the good stuff that we have in and through Jesus Christ, this wonderful narrative that we're called on to live in. Uh, won't you just get a hold of it? Don't, don't miss it. I was reading recently, 1903, another historic event in American history. Uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright, uh, in the spring of that year, I think it was April, uh, actually got a little piece of car, a piece of wood and uh, canvas and a motor to fly 120 feet. And they telegraphed back to, to Ohio, to Dayton, to their sister Catherine and said, we flew 100 feet, I guess it was in the fall of that year, uh, we flew 120 feet, stop, be home for Christmas. Stop. They sent the telegraph. Catherine got the telegraph, their sister, and marched into the, to the uh, editorial uh, office of the local newspaper and showed it to the editor and said, look, look, look. And the editor looked up and said, oh, great. The boys will be home by Christmas. <laughs> Had no idea what was really being said there. This epoch-making moment was completely ob- it was made oblivious. Church, church. What I'm trying to say this morning is wake up and realize that we're a part of the greatest story that has ever been told in the history of the world. A story that is bound up in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we don't just merely remember, we embody it as a community, all y'all, together, together. Isn't that amazing? Well, there's more. There's more. And as he, as he says this, he, he, he has um, a, 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 a challenge for us. He says, I want to discipline yourself. I, wanna, I want to, uh, to, uh, to move us beyond. And so he says there in, uh, in verse 13, prepare your minds for action to discipline yourself. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring to you when he is revealed. And so he starts using what your English teacher would tell you are imperatives. Do this, do this, do this. And uh, prepare your minds and so on and so forth. And I want to just suggest to you this morning out of what, Paul is, or what Peter is saying here that here's some things for us to think about, to prepare our minds, to have a solid mindset, to be mindful of the story and let that, that cognition help us move forward that we're paying attention to what God's doing, to discipline ourselves, and to place our hope on Jesus Christ. You know, there's something about simply paying attention to what God is up to in your life and our life together that's really quite important. Just this morning, as we were driving south out of Abilene, just north of Winters, Texas, you've been through there, uh, there was about a 40-acre field of sunflowers, And uh, just glorious this time of year. But you know what about sunflowers on an early morning like this? You know which direction they were all pointed? Every last one of them? Straight at the sun. 
Now, the $64 word for that is heliotropic, right? Is there a biology teacher in the room? Heliotropic, that is to say they are oriented toward the helios, the sun. Every last one of them. They know where the, the good stuff's at and they point right toward it. What Peter is saying is wake up and get yourself oriented to this God story and pay attention to it. Discipline yourself. Get your mind squared around this. Put your hope on Jesus Christ. Turn toward the sun. Place your eyes toward Jesus, as we sang just a a little bit ago. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Thank you. I was drawing a blank right at the end. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what, Paul, that's what Peter is saying here for us to do. And then he closes it all out by just saying, be holy, be holy, be holy. And I, I've been worrying about this all week. How do I talk about being holy? Be holy as I am holy. Because in my mind, when I hear that, all I can hear is holier than thou. Somehow or another of being, well, I'm better than you because I am da-da-da-da-da-da. But let me see if I can find a way to talk about this that might be helpful. And I had to go back to Hebrew to do this. The Hebrew word, if I can do this, the Hebrew, the Old Testament word for holiness is kabosh. And, uh, and in that, uh, interestingly enough, is very similar to another word uh, that means lady of the evening. Interestingly. There's a story in G- uh, Genesis, if you remember your Old Testament history. Do you remember how <clears throat> Judah, one of the sons of Jacob, had a daughter-in-law who played the prostitute. Do you remember that story? It's an interesting story, but she's called the holy one. Now, because uh, the word is similar, and, and interestingly enough, the idea of holiness is sort of the way of saying that God is holy, that he has no boundaries. There are no boundaries. And this lady of the evening is a woman who has no boundaries. She's living her life outside the boundaries of normal rules and regulations of life. Now, I'm saying that to say that maybe one way to get at the idea of holiness, if we think about the way God is holy, that God cannot be contained by just what is here in the present, right? He doesn't, he's not bound up by time or place. God is holy. He, he extends beyond time or place. He doesn't live just by local rules. Because he's what? He's God, that's why. And in being, in our being invited to be holy is perhaps a way of us, of, of God saying to us, I know that you're human. I know there are boundaries. I know there are lots of narratives around you that, you that draw on you and pull on you, but I am inviting you to lift your eyes beyond just what you can see and live by a broader set of boundaries, a broader set of way of seeing the world. That the world is not just that which you can see, it is also that which you cannot see. That this world is not just about what's good for me, it's what's just for others. That this world is not just what's in it for me, but I'm going to learn how to love my neighbor. 
That God is a God of love and I will be a person who practices love and shows generosity and kindness to others whether they deserve it or not because that's the kind of God God is. For me to be holy is for me to be and embody the way in which God transcends all of those kinds of boundaries. We're being invited to live and embody the character of God in the world. Be holy as I am holy. It's not just being set aside, which is one way we understand holiness, and that's true, we are being set aside, but it's God who sets us aside. And in God setting us aside, he is preparing for us a way of living that becomes his billboard to the world to say that I am for real. We become his way of demonstrating to all what he's up to in the world, in spite of all the different kinds of narratives that are out there. That's what we're being invited to do. It's not just about us kind of living our own little lives and doing our own little thing. God is up to something very big when he sent Jesus into the world, and he hasn't stopped his work yet. And you and I have been invited to play and do and participate in what God is up to in the world. Isn't that exciting to think about? (laughs) Lou Holtz, remember the old football coach? Had a saying that's sort of been on my mind this past week, thinking about this. He said, uh, uh, a kamikaze pilot with 50 50 missions behind his belt uh, may be an involved person, but he's not a committed person. I may have to explain that one. I don't know. Some of you got it. Okay, I'll... It's one thing for me to say that I'm Christian culturally. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. It's another thing to say I'm a Christian congregationally, that I show up to church regularly. It's altogether a different thing to be a committed Christian. One who has recognized that the story of Jesus demands all of my life, and I'm going to discipline myself, I'm going to set my mind on what God desires, and I'm going to put my hope in Jesus. And like a sunflower in the field, I'm going to follow him intently all across the horizon that I will live my life as a holy person. And that is the invitation that Peter gives to us today, and it's one that I extend to you today and invite you to practice living holy kind of lives for the sake of the story that we've been invited into. Let's stand and sing.